players gather to cast powerful spells, some of the oldest and most powerful in the history of Magic the Gathering. Dark Ritual, Buried Alive, Arclight Phoenix, and many others. Battling head-to-head in brutal combat, they all have one thing in common, to uphold their legacy and the search for eternal glory. The Eternal Glory Podcast is sponsored by Cardboard Live, Bosch and Roll on YouTube, Thurabin University, and TheEpicStorm.com. This just in. Luris and Zerda have been banned in Legacy, and now three guys are going to ramble on for about two hours as they try to figure out what to do in the world where Yorian rises. Welcome to episode 23 of the Eternal Glory podcast. I'm Phil Gallagher, joined by Bryant Cook and Brian Koval. How are you all doing tonight? Whoa, whoa, whoa. This does not have to be two hours. We can, we can do this in an hour and 15 minutes. You mean, go walk the dog? I don't know. We could go for three. Oh, new record. Or that. <laughs> but uh, I'm doing well. How, how are you guys doing? Pretty good. Uh, Trying not to go stir crazy. Yeah, I'm doing fine. Uh, I'm doing exactly as I've been doing for the last nine weeks. Nothing has changed. I went outside yesterday. It was uh, very scary. I recommend not doing that. I've been outside almost every day, uh, weather permitting. Uh, I take, I've been getting my 10,000 steps in most days, despite being homebound. So I, I have a park a mile from my house. So walking to the park, doing the loop around the park and coming back to my house is a solid three miles. And I just do that twice a day. So I, I've been getting outside, no problem. I don't know what I'm going to do because it's supposed to rain almost nonstop for the next two weeks. So I think I'm going to be on, like, a DDR-based workout routine for the next two weeks or something like that. Have you considered purchasing a raincoat? Hmm. You see, when I'm walking, I'm also playing Pokemon Go and catching critters or listening to a podcast or something. So I don't know about that. That also ruins my other plan of just being one of those guys who goes out and just boxer briefs and jogs. It's like, <laughs> just like no shirt, tiny little shorts running shoes, and you're just soaking wet and you don't care because you're basically nude. This is what our listeners are here for, really. Absolutely. So I'm glad I'm uh, sitting down. <laughs> All right, Brian, what have you been doing to keep yourself busy <laughs> during quarantine? Well, uh, yesterday when I went outside, we were doing yard work, and uh, my lovely fiancé took a bunch of dirt and like started leveling out our backyard so that way our dog doesn't run in mud puddles. So we were like doing that and laying down grass seed. So I'm actually pretty glad it's going to rain for the next two weeks. So that way our grass seed will grow. Super boring adult stuff. Uh, but after the last episode, I went and bought those invasion books. And I really struggled to find all three. I went to eBay. There wasn't a single seller that had all three. I went to Amazon. Once again, the same thing. I did find actually technically one seller had all three. But they d- demanded separate shipping on all three books, so it ended up being like $22 after shipping. when The books were selling for like $2.50 each. So not super happy with that. A friend ended up uh, sending me a recommendation to like a used bookstore online, 
and I was able to get all three books for $15 shipped. I know that uh, Brian said that they're the end game of the magic book, so I'm pretty excited to delve into those once I finish off uh, my pile of comic books, so probably in about a week. Yeah, the storyline that started uh, not in Mirage or Visions, what Weatherlight maybe? It, like the, there was like a 10-year period, it's like 15 magic sets, that 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 story arc uh, ends it in a in in those books in the apocalypse book, so or maybe it's it's five years it's five years and fifteen sets I think that's what it is, but yeah it, it's an exciting conclusion if you followed the story or even if you just looked at cards from that era. So what about on the magic end? I've been playing lots of challenges still. The same thing as I said in the last episode. Uh, I was lucky enough to come in second place in a Legacy Challenge. All of those are up on YouTube, so if you want to watch that, go to the Epic Storm's YouTube. I've uh, been playing a lot of Vintage still. Top 8 at a Vintage Challenge with my PO slash Breach Hybrid. I was honestly a little shocked today to see that Breach didn't get restricted in Vintage. I know a lot of the more famous Vintage people were demanding it be restricted. So, kind of happy that you know it's still around for a little bit longer. I can continue to play my Hybrid that sort of thing. And theepicstorm.com celebrated its five-year anniversary. Its first uh, article was on May 16th, 2015. Woo! Happy birthday. And uh, as always, we're making more site improvements. Today I was working on some server-side upgrades, but that's about it for me. How about you, Brian? What have you been at? Uh, So I've been playing lots of video games. Uh, Well, I guess... A lot of video games isn't quite grammatically accurate. I've been playing three video games a lot. Uh, I got Jedi Fallen Order, which is freaking sweet. Uh, it's got like the the slow, meticulous combat system like Arkham or uh, Assassin's Creed, if you're familiar with those sorts of games. And I got Battlefront 2, which is sort of like CSGO, but Star Wars. And... My brother, uh, his birthday's in May, and the family pulled together to get him a new computer. So now that he has a machine that can handle the current generation of games, I've been playing Borderlands with him. So uh, it, it's it's kind of interesting that like those are the three games I've been playing because, like I said, Fallen Order has like a slow, meticulous, like carefully timed combat system where button mashing and charging into battle are just not options, and. Borderlands encourages complete insanity. Like, they want you charging in, guns blazing, hail of lead, you know, dying mid-combat, and, like, jumping back into the fight. Like, that's what they want. That's what they've built. And then Battlefront is right in between the two. So it's kind of... I've been kind of getting whiplash switching between those games, remembering what I'm supposed to do. Uh, As far as work, uh, work is, like, chugging along. It's weird, because it's mid-May, and that's when the school year should be winding down, but I feel like the school year has been wound down for nine weeks already. So it, it's, I, I'm not getting that like excited for summer feel that you usually get this time of year. I did win the work Zoom trivia contest. We've been trying to do some morale boosting, team building type things in this remote environment, and there was a. I need to know what was the topic. It, it was just general. Uh, it, it was the... It wasn't the office? Would have been perfect. 
Well, we don't really have an office. It's a school. So at the the main like the main one was a curated list of questions made by our school administration. So there was some like history of our organization type things and then a lot of like general interest movies and music. And then we did like two other games uh, picked off of uh, just the site that they used. And I, I won both of those too. So uh, that was a good night. Congratulations. For me. Yeah. Uh, we, we did a zoom call for mother's day with my grandma. We had, uh, so my, my mom is one of nine children and I have uh, something like 30 cousins. So we have a huge family and almost all of us were on this Zoom call with my grandma on Mother's Day, and that was really sweet. Uh, my uncle was calling in from his lake house in South Carolina that is currently unoccupied. He was just there for the weekend, and he just floated out there casually that I could go down and live there in, in quarantine instead of where I am now, and that's so tempting. So uh, that. I, I might be moving my quarantine to South Carolina once the school year wraps up, at least for a little while. I wouldn't blame you. Just getting a, a different taste, a different outside to look at uh, for a little while might be pretty darn appealing. Yeah, and he has jet skis. I can't do that in my backyard, but he can. So Correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't PA open up this week? So PA went from red to yellow, and basically what that means is that uh, non-essential businesses can reopen for sales, but not for hanging out. So the game stores are back open. You can walk in and buy singles or whatever, but they can't run tournaments yet. I think the uh, the cap on number of humans that can gather is 25 now. I think it was 10 previously, or like just don't do it previously. Not quite sure exactly, but uh, all of our like mask rules are still in place. So, I do know that the stores around here are doing curbside pickup for pre-releases. Like you can buy your, you know, your pre-release kit or whatever, your booster box, and then go home. But yeah. you're not allowed to stay there. Yeah, that that sounds about right. So speaking of grocery store rules, I I was in the grocery store just earlier today, and the the store has like markings on the the floor to like maintain six feet distance from everyone. There's a flow of traffic. Like each aisle is one way now. And I got to say, as someone who feels like that should always be in place, like I always, like even normal circumstances get annoyed when people are disrupting traffic or standing too close to me in the grocery store. Like now that that's a real rule, like that, like it's in place. It's not just in my head anymore. It's a real rule, but the same people are still breaking those rules it, I thought it would help me, but it just makes me matter. So uh, now, now I can't even like rationalize it in my own head. Like, stop it, Brian. You're being neurotic. Like, they're not too close to you. You're just, you just have a different uh, personal boundary than they do. But now it's the rule, and you're breaking it. North Carolina so, is starting to open up as well, and things are going exactly like you would expect. No one's wearing masks. Our number of confirmed cases is absolutely skyrocketing it's uh it's not great yikes well i do know that uh our friends across the pond in jamini they closed back down uh they opened for i think three weeks and then all of a sudden they're 
mortality rate tripled and then they closed back down. So I am obviously not a website that has all this information, but I remember reading that. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's accurate. Yeah, I mean, that is the only way this can go. Nothing has changed out there. Nothing is cured. Nothing. There's no vaccine. The thing is still out there. Like, nothing is different now than it was 10 weeks ago. So uh, the only difference is the amount of uh, political pressure and social unrest among the people who are you know, literally starving because they can't work and they're not being supported by their government. So, so one thing that I thought was pretty interesting was uh, Governor Cuomo of New York was saying that New York State would help uh, fund sports teams that reopened without fans because MLB was projecting was something like $650,000 for games to be played that didn't have fans, which seems a little high to me if you're just paying for you know, camera, camera people and announcers or whatever. Like that just seems a little bit high, but not really the point. New York state said that they would help offset these costs. Meanwhile, my old lady works for New York state. And uh, since unemployment is drying up, they're taking money out of uh, employee pay to help pay for unemployment. So technically if the funds dry up, she could lose her paycheck that would then get it would eventually get paid back, but for now it would be gone. But they're willing to help sports teams reopen. That just seems a little silly to me and a little bit irritating. Yep, the the priorities. That's like the uh, the Blue Angels flyovers that cost like $450,000 per plane. And you just have these like six planes flying over the city to honor healthcare workers. It's like just put those millions of dollars into healthcare instead. How about that? I will be looking forward to when this is all done and over with, and we can look back on all of these things with, you know, the, the, the grace of time and be able to really see where we messed things up and then hopefully learn from it for the future. But like by the time the next pandemic comes around, we'll all have forgotten everything. And, you know. So Phil, what have you been up to? Um, so the school year is winding down for me. Um, I got all my final projects and final exams graded today. So this is the makeup week. And then I have about two weeks of work left before I'm uh, done for the summer. Uh, I've gotten hooked on the Binding of Isaac again, because that game's good. And I'm like five completion marks away from 100% or something like that. After like 600 hours in the game or something. And I'm still going back for more. Um, the girlfriend and I have been watching a, a lot of anime. Um, we watched Hunter x Hunter, which is a 148 episodes. Um, we started that after quarantine and we're done now. So that show was pretty good. I enjoyed it a lot. Didn't expect to. Thought it was just going to be popular weep trash. Was pleasantly surprised. Um... Then otherwise, I've been enjoying making some craft cocktails just to help pass the time and, you know, get better at making some things. So I've been going back to some of the classics like gin and tonics and having a lot of fun with that. Got some fun, like, botanical gins to try out. Otherwise, just more of the same. So at this point, I feel like Phil is supposed to edit in, like, Snoop Dogg and then, like, the beginning of that song and then play it out or something. I don't know. I saw a, uh, uh, just on my Twitter feed at some point, somebody uh, parodied uh, Gin and Juice with uh, a, a they, they changed all the lyrics to be about COVID-19 and being in isolation. And 
I'm not going to try to sing it or repeat any of it, but it's out there. I would really enjoy it if you did. You know, it, if I were more confident in any of the lyrics, I would try it, but that I, I'm just not even there. I did see that for Blink-182's uh, All the Small Things, I think it was. Or maybe it was What's My Age Again, I'm not sure. But that was like one of the first COVID videos I saw. But uh, let's get into the feedback from last episode. I'll take the first one, and then maybe for once Phil could read a long one. All right, I'll, I'll read. I'll read the long one because it was basically about my comments, so I'm happy to take it. But go ahead, lead us in, Brian. Something at Eternal Glory Pod got very wrong that at Elo Punters got very right. Just because something grows the game and appeals to a larger audience doesn't mean that it's good for the game. There's value in people playing, but there's also value in the game just being better. From at Lord Darkview on Twitter. I think that this individual wasn't exactly reading what we were trying to say personally. Maybe you two have different opinions on this, but we were, we were trying to be a little bit of the devil's advocate in the last episode. I believe all three of us felt that Loris was a little bit overpowered and could potentially get banned. Sure enough, today, today's Monday, it did get banned. But what the stance that at least I was trying to take in the last episode was play things while you have them, try to problem solve, and keep an open mind. And that was really the message of the last episode because so many people were just like, this card's stupid, I'm not playing, and very negative things without really giving things a fair shake. And if something's, you know, too good, we'll ban it. Or, well, more fairly, Wizards will ban it. And, but it's just, don't come in with a negative attitude and then not be happy when things don't go your way. That was, I don't know, that's what I'm trying to say. So when I when I read this quote, I thought it was about when we were talking about modal spells and cycling and, like, uh, appealing to best of one uh, and, like, ways to mitigate mana screw or like dead cards because uh, we talked about that in the last episode with we were talking about wilt where it's just like strictly better naturalize and i was i've been really impressed playing wilt the cycling abilities bananas i'm really happy to bring in disenchant in matchups where i would normally be on the fence about it now because i could just cycle it so i thought that's what that was uh in response to like Wizards has been really heavy on, like, cycling, scry, and modal spells lately. Things that mitigate mana screw and help a best-of-one environment actually play out right. And uh, uh, that's where, I, I guess, the, without having the specific uh, note of what we were talking about it, for this comment, uh, it's hard to address it. But, but yeah, like, making making a game just, like easy cheesy but like make it a worse game like magic shouldn't be headed towards like monopoly but at the same time uh artifact was a phenomenal game it was so good but it appealed to nobody like that's that's uh the the counter argument here like uh their quote is there there is value in more people playing but there's also value in the game just being better I think Artifact is one of the, the best games that's come out recently, but it was too smart, too good, too deep for the average person to get invested in. And uh, Magic doesn't want to be there either. So there's a middle ground that uh, Watsi and uh, R&D have a really hard time navigating. I had a conversation earlier this week with someone about 
uh, Teferi, the three mana one, about how the wording is so carefully chosen that it's at sorcery speed and not on your turn, just because R&D is trying to find uh, tiny incremental advantages or things that you can tack onto a card that are functionally similar, but just gave you a tiny bit of an edge over the way that something might have been worded before. And like Tefiri, I think Wishclaw Talisman is very similar because the, the first time you read Wishclaw Talisman, you just assume it says as a sorcery, but it doesn't. It says activate on your turn, which is just slightly different, but it's also that tiny bit of an edge that you need to be able to respond to something and then get Veil of Summer and Veil them. Uh, it's just a like, tiny little bit of a gain, and I think that's like the sort of things that Wizards is trying to do nowadays. It's just like tiny gains on cards, and that's why we saw cycling on well. Yeah, it's, it's it's funny you bring up Teferi specifically, because I was playing a, a match at one point where my I had a Teferi in play, three mana Teferi, and my opponent just like absentmindedly tried to like swords the plowshares during my combat, and I was like, I have Teferi, and they're like, oh, sorry. Then I passed the turn, and they made an attack, I made my blocks, and then they flashed in Resto Angel in combat, and I was like, I still have Teferi. And they were like, oh my god, what? So... Yeah, like, I was able to just get someone there because that card was word, worded differently than they expected it to be. There's been a lot of Twitter discussion and podcast discussion over card design, especially around companions. So if you're interested in this topic, um, just call through, like, Maro's Twitter for the past two weeks and just check out a lot of the stuff that's there. Or uh, Eternal Dirtles, I believe, put out a podcast episode that was essentially just all talking about like companion design choices and recent um, decision making in cards. There's there's a lot of cool content there if you like to dig into that sort of thing. All right, Phil, you've set me off. I want to go into this. So I think that Morrow gets the short end of the stick from the magic community, and it's just not fucking fair. So like he's the only person that's being transparent from upstairs. And he's asking, like, really simple questions. And, like, I think deep down he knows that Companion was a mistake. And he's just trying to ask questions. And he gets nonstop people attacking him every single day on Twitter. When he's the only one giving you an inside look into their thought process, how things work upstairs. And people are like, well, you were trying to blame the people down the road in play design. when And you're just supposed to be this, like, theoretical crafter of ideas. If he's not involved with the people that are playtesting the cards, and then maybe during playtesting, someone goes, oh, I think this card should really be three mana, not four, and no one tells him. Why is that Morrow's fault? Yeah, I, I think he's even farther removed than that. Like, if he just comes up with the concept of, like, what if you can cast a card from your sideboard once in a game? Where do we go with that? And then, like, uh, Aaron Forsythe and that team, they start putting numbers onto that idea and then play design, tweak those numbers even farther downstream. Like, there's several steps away from an idea that Mark Rosewater that poofs into existence and the card that gets printed. What I don't like is that it was revealed that they don't test it all for eternal formats or even think about them. But then again, they've printed cards like Breach and said that they are targeted at the eternal community. Well, if you're not playtesting it, don't print it. And well, if that's the case, like, it just drives me nuts. It, it has been the case publicly and known for at least 10 years that they don't test for Legacy. Like, they have, that's just been on the books. It's like, we have to craft a limited format and make standard work. We can't possibly 
also think about modern and beyond. Like, I, and I respect that. Like, that's what the ban list is for. Though it, it is like a card like Breach, obviously, is not for standard. Like, there's no way a standard deck would ever get value out of a card like Underworld Breach. So there are some eternal plants there, but uh, I, in general, I agree that they like. How could you like how? We, we've seen the state of standard for the last two years, and it's been a shit show. And how are how is that same team that can't get standard balance going to fix Legacy before cards get printed? Like, I'm totally fine using the ban list to keep Legacy healthy and uh, let R&D focus on what they need to to keep the game alive. Part of me wonders if there's like a big shift upstairs at Wizards during Kaladesh, because it seems like once Kaladesh hit, everything has just been kind of a shit show. Like, they lost a lot of, like, I I actually play, or at the time I played a lot of Standard and Paper, and during that time period, Standard just dried up in my area. Like, we were getting, like, 20 to 25 people FNMs, and, like, we were getting six, four, some weeks eight. And it just, just seems like, ever since Kaladesh, it's been a lot of bands in Magic. And I wonder if, like, maybe there were some people that were let go or like they switched roles or that sort of thing. Well, when did that fire stuff start? I don't know. I know that in Kaladesh specifically, that standard format broke because Ulamog was never supposed to be in standard with Aetherworks Marvel. Like they, they shifted the way standard rotates, but, but the sets were already in the pipeline. So like, things started breaking that they never tested because they were never meant to exist together. And then bans started happening. I mean, split print, printing actual fucking splinter twin into standard with the Sigilly cat. Like they knew about <laughs> yeah. that. That th- th- Those were back-to-back sets of the same block. They should have known better than that. But like some of those copter Marvel, the entire energy mechanic, uh, rampaging Frostodon, or is, I believe that's what it's called. Uh, there's just a ton of cards. It was a shit show. Yeah, and like Ferocidon is one of the most embarrassing bands in Magic's history. It, it was just like a critical mass of red being real, real good. And then they just had this totally fine but pushed three drop that would have in fact broken red in standard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The last thing I want to say about like testing for old formats is even people who are hugely immersed in legacy every single week still are going to evaluate cards totally wrong um so for example i totally missed that oko was even worth considering playing in legacy and um bryant for example was really really negative on dreadhorde arcanist when it come out and in retrospect both of those maybe not the best opinions right so even if we were going and like having the ability to help tune stuff, we would miss things that the hive mind would not. I tend to err on the side of caution when it comes to new cards being printed, just because the 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 scale or the the level at being playing legacy is so high, where a card has to be like truly magnificent to break through that barrier. And because of that, I always just look at everything a little cautiously and question if it's ever really good enough. Like when Terramander was printed, I was like, eh. And then everyone was so high on it, and then it just dipped right down back into oblivion. Um, what's the Sprite Dragon is another great example. I love that card. Where I still think that card is really good, but like 
that was not the time for it. And like we may see that card come back from time to time. And I hope we do. That card's so cool. Sorry, Brian. I didn't mean to cut you off, but also I love Spray Dragon. No, it's fine. I, I was just going to say, like, the, the play design team, I don't know who all is on that team right now, but I know that Dan Musser and Kazu Negri are both over there, and those are both powerful legacy wizards who are good at magic and invested in playing legacy and doing well at it at, during their times as players. And, like, even with, like, minds like that, even if they did just point it all at legacy, then <laughs> how much can, like, two dudes figure out for the biggest format. So uh, I I fully understand. I, I didn't know that anyone didn't know that Wizards didn't test Legacy. Like, I thought that was just a known fact for a decade plus. Like, I, there was some interview with, like, Ken Nagel on, like, the old Magic show or something. Remember the Magic show with Evan Irwin? Like, oh, wow. Yeah. For what yeah. it's worth, I knew that they didn't, but, like, for them to come out and say, like, hey, well, these are four Legacy or older formats, that's what upset me. Like, it's obvious that they don't give a shit about Legacy. Well, and don't test for it. Uh, they don't give a shit and they don't test for it are two totally different statements. Uh, they are not able to test for it. There is no amount of bandwidth that Wizards could expand their testing team to that could have a perfectly balanced Legacy come out of every set. But at the same time, like, managing the ban list once it's there. And for what it's worth, uh, Underworld Breach, if, if they print it for Eternal Formats, it's a totally fine, like, Tier 1.5, Tier 2 Pioneer deck. I'm talking about Breach. Uh, it has fallen off the earth on Modern, uh, though there is a sweet deck that exists. Legacy was the sweet spot where it needed to be banned. And uh, in Vintage, it's getting play, but it, it's... It's just one of the busted engines you can use, and it's probably not even the best one. But uh, you yourself are playing that, and like so, it found a home in several of the eternal formats in a healthy way. So, and they used the ban list to mitigate it where it was a problem. So I'm not mad at them for that. It's so good. I cut you like my well. Yikes! Oh, that's scary. All right. All right, but uh, we should probably get into our second piece of feedback. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. So uh, somebody said, uh, you're still underrating Luris. He's not a, quote, two-format one-of, unquote. He is a warping every constructed format from standard to vintage, reactive, sacrifice, and standard, even cut Mayhem Devil to run Luris, Pioneer, 34% of the meta, and single-handedly made Auras tier zero. In modern, you have the treasure crew situation of even burn running him. I don't need to explain legacy and vintage. All right, so first off, when I use the words "is a two format one of," I was specifically talking about the financial, like the the price of Luris compared to Gyruda. Like for the price of Luris at the time that I said this to make any sense, there would have to be sixteen Luris decks getting played for every one Gyruda deck or every one Zerda deck. And now we know maybe that's true. Maybe that was actually happening. Or or maybe uh, the the bots just knew what people needed. Like, the supply and demand, maybe it was actually that crazy. So, and to the rest of the point, we recorded our last episode, what, like, uh, three days after Luris dropped? Like, it came out on Friday. 
there were Saturday Sunday tournaments then we recorded on Tuesday and it moved so fast like we were we were working with like wow this was a big opening weekend uh who knows where this card's going to go it's going to be good but uh we'll see what where it goes and by the end of even that week like we recorded Tuesday this aired on Friday and then by then all that information was probably sounded insane just coming out of our mouths because it was so <laughs> obviously breaking every format so uh just like a little bit of Give us a little bit of leeway here. There, there's a, a a drag time between when we produ- record the show and when you hear it, and when things move as quickly as Luris did, some things are going to get missed. One thing I did find kind of funny about the comment was that made Ors off Ors Tier Zero. I actually play a lot of Pioneer, and when we recorded, I was seeing quite a bit of Ors off Ors, but by the time it aired, that deck had already dropped down to the eighth most popular deck on Goldfish. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I played against that deck a bunch. I play a lot of Pioneer too, and uh, I think I've lost. I'm like one, in, or I'm like four and one against it, or whatever in in leagues over the past two weeks. So people can play it. It's a really good home for Luris, but it made the deck better. But the deck is still just fine. All right, um, and this kind of leads into our next comment as well from uh, Reddit user Bang Obeum. Plus or minus a little bit of pronunciation there. Um, Also, you seem to recognize the opportunity cost for including these companions in terms of deck building requirements, but you haven't acknowledged the opportunity cost for not including the companions. The opportunity cost of not including the companion is being down a card, which is freely tutorable and can't be interacted with until it hits the battlefield. Um, Totally don't disagree. Um, As we saw with a lot of the Magic Online results, more or less, the only non-companion decks that were putting up any results towards the end were Red Prison, Eldrazi, and uh, Lands. Sometimes, even some of the Lands decks were starting to play companions. So yes, the opportunity cost of not putting one of the companions in the deck was very, very high in the previous format. Yep, and I tweeted about that uh, like two weeks ago as well, like a, a similar observation. Like, I really enjoy matches of Magic where both players have a companion, where both players are navigating this known resource that's just waiting in the wings. Who can use it best? Like, I think of the scene in uh, Fast and the Furious, the original one, where uh, uh, Dom Toretto is racing Brian, in the, and Brian, like, shoots his Nas, and then Dom's like, too early, kid. <laughs> and then, like, <laughs> then he just, like, jumps him right at the finish line. And, like, that's how I feel, like, when I'm playing a companion matchup and my opponent just, like, jams their Luris on three, then I bolt it, then I play my Luris on turn seven and they have nothing. So, like, uh, <laughs> I've I really enjoyed that aspect. And it reminds me a lot of uh, Bitter Blossom, back when Bitter Blossom was in standard. I don't know how many old heads we have around here at this point, but the, the Fairy's Mirror back in standard... If both players or no players had turned to Bitter Blossom, you were going to have a good game. But if one player had Bitter Blossom and the other didn't, it was a slaughter. So if companions ended up being like having turned to Bitter Blossom, like I have a companion and you don't, all right, see you next week, like you're done, then that's unhealthy. And it seems like that turned out to be mostly the case. So something that I've been thinking about is that 
in theory, TES could run Kahira. Because I don't run any creatures in my main deck, which meets the requirement of playing Kahira. That said, I don't think Kahira is worth a cyborg card for me. So I don't know exactly how true this is, because it is applicable to the previous format where you had Luris. But I don't think in general, always having a companion is worth a cyborg slot. Especially if that cyborg slot is like a Kahira or a Gigantha, because especially in lands, Gigantha gives your opponent so much information. It means you don't have Mindbreak Trap. It means you don't have Leyline of the Void. Force of Vigor. That's a lot of cards that you're not playing because you're running a companion. Yeah, I had a, a brief exchange with Ryan Overturf about this too, where uh, he he's also someone who enjoys the companion mechanic, like myself, when both players have an interesting companion. Like, I don't want magic... Like, I wouldn't like the like a 3-mana artifact creature that's like a 3-mana three 3-3. Three, three. When it enters the battlefield, draw a card. This can be your companion. Like, I, I don't want just, like, a card that you can have that, that just... I don't want magic to become a point where there's, like, uncommon companions that, like, just so everyone can have one and stay competitive. And uh, that, like you said with uh, Jengartha and Kahira... Like, there are decks that can play those, but, like, you don't need a 3-2 with no abilities that gets bounced by Caracas. Like, uh, that's the the same problem that, like, Tassiger has in Legacy. It's just, like, a big legend. A big legend with no additional abilities is just Caracas fodder. And I know uh, Kellen Pistori was playing uh, Jengartha in lands when it first was an option and then quickly dropped it because just having this... 5-5 five, five you can cast sometimes was not worth a sideboard slot. Yeah. Um, just talking about the other side of the equation, at the same time, we saw so many decks warping, probably correctly so, to play companions, especially Loris, though. Um, I did play against some really sick uh, Loris Goblin decks towards the tail end of the format that were rec- recurring... Uh, goblin crater makers and munition experts uh, and using fiend artisan to sacrifice them so like you could keep replaying them and that was super cool um so before we get into like the real content of this episode i want to take a minute to thank a few people um thank you to the donors after our last episode uh philip landgraf henrik corkook marshall arthurs and all of those donations go towards uh, helping edit this podcast. Thank you very much to Phil Blackman at Force of, Force of Phil on Twitter for doing that, especially this week when we asked him to do a rush job to get this podcast out to you all just a little bit faster. I did not realize that we didn't thank our donators. I'll take the fall on this one. Okay. Good job. All right. So... Kind of conceptually, what we want to do is split the rest of this podcast into three parts. We want to talk about what our initial takes on the bannings are, what maybe could or should have been done differently, and what do we think the format is going to look like moving forward.
yeah, it, it's it's time. I don't know what the uh, the the sky serpent says. I'm only familiar with what the fox says. Um, but whatever it says, it's it's going to be the law from now on. It's it's what's happening. Is that true though? Like I so I was the one coming approaching like Luris with the reserved attitude as well. Like I was the one what. In the vintage talks, especially, like there's no way Luris is going to be better than Tinker for uh, Bolas's Citadel, but it turned out like yeah, it actually just is. So, is add what decks can afford to add twenty cards and still function reasonably in Legacy? Like any control deck is fine, any like mid rangey fair plan, but like combo decks can't do that. They need to find their combo pieces. Uh, you are clearly not in the Ad Nauseam Tendrils Facebook group. I, I'm absolutely not. I, I do my best. I do my best to avoid being in any Facebook groups that talk about magic. Uh, was was that originally Cliffy's screenshot of that deck? I wasn't going to call out people, but the idea of making your odds of drawing Lion's Eye Diamond the best card for combo and legacy other than Brainstorm lower, uh, I'm not a big fan of. I'm pretty sure that was a meme post. Well, some people are taking it very seriously. Oh, <laughs> oh, that's great. Okay, um, so I guess before we we launch into like what the meta is going to look like moving forward with Yorian, I guess that's really kind of section three. Like, what do, what do we think about the the bans that actually happened? What do we think about? Well, I I, I think we're pretty on board with Luris going. Well, what do we think about the Zerda ban? I like it. I do as well. Uh, primarily because. The Zerda control deck, not the combo deck, the control deck was putting up a very high win percentage for having very few uh, pilots playing it, which is kind of interesting to me if you look at it the way that KCI's life uh, span existed in modern, where it had very few pilots that consistently did well in the early days. And then some people started picking it up, and then you notice that it won pretty much every event for like two or three months. And then it just became by far the most played deck with the highest win rate, and then they finally axed it. And I think maybe this Zerda ban is Wizards acknowledging, hey, if something has a win percentage this high with only a few people playing it, why don't we just cut it off from the get-go and not lead to a miserable format three months later? I think that shows at least a willingness to think about the format more than one step at a time, right? So if you just ban Luris, I think it's pretty, we pretty clearly go to like Zerda hell where everyone is just going and jamming these monolith into Planeswalker decks because they're so powerful and have such a high rate of doing something that either wins the game or is highly impactful by turn two pretty much every game. Yeah, it, I'll echo what Bryant said. The The Zerta control deck, the, the Snoko deck, uh, at, or whatever you want to call it, that just also had Zerda plus Karn and Monolith combo. Like, that's the deck that made me like, oh, shit, Zerda's real. Uh, like, the the other decks, like the Grim Monolith, like the Karn Stompy style decks, the Bombermans, like, those are obviously great Zerda decks, but they're super exploitable. The The build cost to get Zerda in your deck is pretty high when you want Chalice of the Void in your deck. But the... Just like the the fair control deck that was already tier one, just also gets to shoehorn in this pretty close to free combo. That that's the one that I was like, yeah, this should probably go. Yeah, the fact that 
The traditional, a, like, Zerda Bomberman-style deck cannot beat Nolrod to save its life was kind of the saving grace, maybe, for that deck not just being, like, ubiquitous. Thank you for segueing, segueing into what I wanted to say, Phil. With Zerda going and Luris going, I think Nolrod's stock will lower, and that's pretty good for the Epic Storm. Yeah, I... I think we're going to see a decent number of decks that were repressed by Luris specifically jockeying for a larger metagame share now. Part of what's concerning me about the format going forward is that mass removal, like uh, Plague Engineer and stuff like that, is going to come back more in force. So I think we're actually going to see less of the tribal decks. We're going to see less of these human go-wide decks, less goblins, because I've actually seen a number of people playing goblins recently just because uh, Plague Engineer was soft banned. And earlier today, I was watching a stream where somebody played a Brazen Borrower, and I was like, I forgot the cards in Legacy. So we're going to see a lot of like three mana permanents coming back. Yeah, the that was the most striking part of the Luris metagame to me when... Like playing in the Delver Mirror, like a lot of the times you're like sitting on this red blast and you're like, oh, I can't tap out. What if they true name? But they can't. That's not a card you can cast. Remember true name nemesis, everybody? Remember that card? That's that's still legal in Legacy. It's back now. Uh, and like Merit Lage uh, and Brazen Borrower are going to go back to war against each other. Like Brazen Borrower is Delver's answer to Merit Lage, but then... Uh, Delver just had to play a bunch of Caracases because they couldn't play Brazen Borrower anymore. So th- there's going to be a lot of shifts. If cards that were dead for a while are going to be back. To talk a little bit about the Moto market, I had bought a 3-mana Teferi probably two weeks before the announcement of Luris. I spent 67 tickets. And then sure enough, Luris PO was just like by far the best variant and you can't play Teferi. And I was like, ah, I guess I'll sell this to Fury during, you know, the Luris era because I'm not using it. It's worth a bunch of tickets. I was offered 40 tickets for it when two weeks earlier I had spent, or maybe three weeks, I had spent 67. And I was like, you know what, I'll just sit on it if it's only going to be 40 tickets. Now I'm sort of excited to see if it ever goes back up. But now I'm using it, so I'm probably not going to sell it. But it made me really angry that it dropped 27 tickets in three weeks. I can't imagine how I would feel if I bought Bobbles. Yeah. I did uh, do the poor man's version of Mishra's. I bought Urza's. And the set of Urza's were 28 tickets. However, the value I got back from winning vintage challenges with them was well worth the 28 tickets. Yeah, that's the dream. The cards pay for themselves. That's why any of us keep coming back. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, One more thing on tribal decks before we move on. Uh, I really enjoyed... um, I, I, I'm not going to throw their name out there, but someone on Twitter posted a video of them taking their death and taxes deck and just throwing it into the garbage can after this announcement because, like, they're so convinced we're going back to this Snoko hell and, like, Plague Engineer is going to come back. It's it, it's going to be a rough time for tribal players. Definitely. Before we move on, I think uh, let's each say what we initially thought of the bannings today if you're happy unhappy and then we can go into like what we could have done differently so brian why don't you uh start us off 
Yeah, so Luris, obvious slam dunk. Uh, Zerda, if Zerda wasn't just straight up bannable already, definitely would have become bannable as uh, inheriting Luris's estate. But uh, I'm glad they, they nixed Zerda along with it. Uh, I did expect them to hit something out of Snoko, like whether it be Oko, Astrolabe. I guess Astrolabe is really the only one. And... Do we want to get into talking about Astrolabe as a bannable card now, or do we want to do that later Let's do on? that in the next section. Let's do it in the next section. All right, I'll save that yeah. for later. I was kind of expecting it, but it didn't happen. So uh, that I, I wasn't expecting Zerda, but it makes perfect sense once it happened, uh, proving, again, that Wizards of the Coast, these R&D people, are better at this than I am. And me being the stand-in for any random on the internet who doesn't do this for a living. Like, Zerda was not on my ban radar. Though I know uh, Zerda was on other people's ban radar. I have seen calls for that card to be banned on like Twitter and Facebook over the past couple weeks. So Wizards uh, hit the obvious threat and they hit the the one that was lurking under the surface. So I, I'm I'm happy overall with this update. All right, I'll, I'll go next, I guess. So, I'm very happy that it wasn't just Luris going. Very, very happy with that. Um, that said, I thought we were going to get at least one more card going. Um, I thought we were going to remove, like, potentially something from the Snoko deck, whether that was Astrolabe or Oko or even Yorian. I thought we were going to get something going from that pile as well. Um, and I would not be surprised if we see some more bans within two months. But overall, I think this is a great step in the right direction. I'm not viewing this as negatively as many of my peers are. I'm viewing it very similarly to Phil. I think it was fine. I think that they probably could have done a little bit more. But overall, I'm optimistic. I think that these were okay enough. And um, like some people on the internet, I do think that we probably could have seen some unbans, which isn't something that enough people talk about. It just seems like there's some cards on the ban list that could come off. And I had some conversations privately with a few individuals about it. I think that maybe Goblin Recruiter could come off. I understand that it's banned for time reasons, not necessarily power level at this point. That said, Doomsday's legal. And I've had people take over 10 minutes and challenges like carefully choosing the way that they're resolving their pile. So if that's legal, why can't we let goblin players have a bone? It's not like food chain goblins is going to come and be tier one. I don't know. I also think that perhaps windfall and mind twist could come off uh, earthcraft too. Like there's a lot of cards on the ban list that are just silly, but they're reserve list cards at this point. Yeah. I went to buy earthcrafts uh, a couple months ago, just, you know, just in case, and it turns out that's like a $50 card just because it's a you know, reserve list, rare, popular in casual formats. And just it's like, oh, damn. All right. I hope they never unban this. <laughs> I bought Windfalls this week just in case they unban them on Magic Online. There are already four tickets. If that card is ever unbanned, they're going to be like $30 each. Yeah, that's probably true. All right. So, Brian, what do you think could have or should have been done differently? Uh, so I kind of mentioned it already. Like, I, I, I think that Astrolabe could have gone. Is this where we want to talk yeah, about that? Yeah, fuck it. Let's go. <laughs> Let's do it. Okay. 
All right, so Astrolabe is in a weird place that I don't think any other card ever has been in Magic's history. Like, the idea of banning a a mana-fixing artifact is just so absurd on the surface. But then if you actually play Legacy a little bit and realize what it does, like, just the, costing the one mana over two, like the prismatic what what is the other prismatic version Almond. of this card no the i i'm super embarrassed because i actually pulled prismatic lens nope uh prophetic prism that's it. that's it yeah so prophetic prism is a is the same card as arkham's astrolabe but it costs two colorless mana instead of one snow mana and that card is not even remotely close to playable in any eternal format but arkham's astrolabe is just ubiquitous in legacy now and the the ability for a three four even five color deck to just be immune to blood moon and wasteland and also play its own back to basics or blood moon out of the sideboard it just feels really wrong to me like uh, i i don't know if that's just like it wrong as in like to my sensibilities or wrong as in it breaks a fundamental aspect of the game which is the color pie and maybe both so i would lean towards both yeah i i would agree with that too and this is coming from the person on this podcast most likely to play arkham's astrolabe and i do play it i've played it in every legacy deck that i've played since it it's printing like that's totally my jam. I'm looking forward to casting Yorion and blinking astrolabes for more fun and value, but uh, I I just don't like what it does. So I would just like to say that I too have played Arkham's Astrolabe in a storm variant, so I could call it Snowstorm. It ended up not being very good, but I tried it. <laughs> Turns on Mox Opal. It does turn on Mox Opal. The downside is you get two snow basics, and that's just not enough. Right. So Arkham's Astrolabe is a card that I feel like is not powerful enough to ban in Legacy. When you compare it to most of the rest of the ban list, like, it doesn't really seem like it's there. But it does often end up creating some decks that are surprisingly hard to interact with via a lot of the tools that are, well, almost all of the tools that are traditionally used to combat the control decks. So normally you can wasteland them off their mana, you can port them off their mana, and Astrolabe kind of shrugs off both of those things relatively well, while also like making it somewhat immune to Blood Moon, Back to Basics, all that sort of stuff. So it's often... What we're describing is literally what Renin 6 did. Yep. So it's often really frustrating to be on the wrong side of that deck. Um, I wonder how much of a problem Astrolabe is without Oko in the format or vice versa, because like those two play so, so incredibly well together. Um, which I think the blue deck splashing green as their tertiary color would be a, a little bit more hard pressed on their mana. They wouldn't get to just free beat blood moon, that sort of thing. Like Oko now or not Oko Uro has a real cost of being blue, blue, green, green. Instead of just, you know, four lands, it yeah. doesn't matter. So, 
do we do we want to say more about Astrolabe or do we want to go on to other cards? Because like, there's plenty more to say about that card. I have a, a small thing to add. So when you look at the last four bannings in Legacy, they're all fairly new cards. It's Ren and Six, Breach, Luris, Zerda. These are all cards that are not banned in Modern. And traditionally, when I've thought about the ban list, it's really tough for me to evaluate because when I think of a card, I'm like thinking about Astrolabe and I think, well, people in Modern aren't really clamoring for it to be banned. A lot of these people are playing it and it's just like a fine card in Modern. But Modern also doesn't have Wasteland or Back to Basics. They do have Blood Moon, but they're more used to their lands not being attacked and messed with. And part of me wonders if that has any indicator with how they feel about Arkham's Astrolabe, because it does break that fundamental rule of magic. But in my mind, it's just really tough for me to justify banning a card that isn't banned in Modern, but it's happened in the last four bannings now. Yeah, so using the the modern ban list to decide if a card is too good for legacy too. Like it, it depends on if it's an enabler or a payoff. So like uh, something like Zerda modern just doesn't have grim monolith in it. So Zerda isn't the same threat. So like the, the context matters. I, I would look backwards first. Like I would see if the thing needs to get banned in legacy and then from there be like, okay, now is this too good for modern as well? Versus like a card that's just like on its own raw power, like some something like Ancestral Recall that like is obviously too good for Legacy, but it's allowed to exist in Vintage. Like uh, that that's like a different type of too good than something that's too good based on the card pool it exists in. All right, Phil, you wanted to take yeah, this somewhere let's, else? Yeah, let's talk about Oko. Um, Oko is another one of those cards that a lot of people were calling for bans because it's single-handedly uh, invalidates so many different decks. It's so hard to play a fair creature or artifact-based deck when Oko is tearing apart the format. Um, a classic example is something like Red Prison. Uh, Oko basically beats your entire deck. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that my opponents often cast a single spell in a game, that one spell is Oko, and I will lose if I am playing Red Prison, even if I am casting every card that I have. And Oko created what was, in my mind, one of the worst legacy formats that we had in a long time. I, I absolutely hated the, uh, the the Snoko Hell that was around before the Companions, and I, I loved the gameplay in the Companion era quite a bit. And now a lot of people are very worried that we're just going to revert back to a format that is largely like what we had previously that so many people were down on. Because cards like Plague Engineer, Oko, Astrolabe were just invalidating everything they were trying to do. Well, they actually just got better because now they yeah. have Yorah. So that, that deck is probably enemy number one right now. So please quit playing Norod. Uh, but <laughs> uh, I don't want to be one of those podcasts that just like harps on this should be banned the entire time because we have plenty of other legacy podcasts that already do that. But I think Oko is probably a perfectly fine level, fine power level card for legacy. I understand that it's really pushed, but so is everything else in this format. If we're being completely honest, like also in my mind, if Gristlebrand is allowed to be legal, so many other cards should be too which is part of the reason that I always like to look at unbans because like Yawnmaw's Bargain shouldn't be banned. Like that's a card that could help a deck like Ant and Ant could honestly use the help in today's age. 
So I'm someone that at this point in time, I'd like to start looking at unbans rather than bans. Yeah, I'd, I'd be fine with that. But I feel like most of the cards that are safe to unban do nothing, right? So like Mind Twist gets unbanned and cool. Maybe someone goes Dark Rit, Dark Rit, Mind Twist you every once in a while and the format doesn't change. Yeah, but you're making some Pox guy super happy. That's like half the leading of the secret. <laughs> so a card like Mind Twist, the I, I think that the the danger of unbanning that card is that it doesn't make any game of Magic gets cast better. Like maybe maybe it's fine. Like yeah, on rate, it's worse than him to Turok. Like you have to spend three mana to get a him to Turok's worth of value and then you know obviously it gets better over over that but like the later in the game you go the worse that effect is like you want to do it early and often so but nobody like random discard is just one of the stone worst things like even back when card design was in the wild west and they were just printing cards like boil and <laughs> those sort of things they got rid of random discard way before they got rid of boil type effects like boil was an eighth edition the last random discard was in fallen empires so uh just i i don't think that mind twist would change the format fundamentally but i don't think it would improve any game ever in that it gets cast in someone tweeted at me today but yeah, have you considered Orcish Lumberjack and to turn to Dark Ritual Mind Twist? And <laughs> part of me is just, just like, Brian, hold yourself back. You don't have to respond to this. Uh, but it's just like, yeah, I'm fine with my opponent playing the Stone Cold Worst deck that they possibly could. Like, that just like doesn't make... Like, so I'm going to lose like 0.1% of games to that? Like, I'm fine with that if it makes some random casual player happy. Yeah, and, and like the... <laughs> As the fair blue player in the room here, the when people say things like that, they're like, "What about you know, Orcish Lumberjack Dark Ritual Mind Twist?" I'm like, "What about Spell Pierce? <laughs> like, nice deck. Who just got mind twisted here?" That person also gave up three resources. I don't know. It's in my eyes, it's probably fine. Uh, a more controversial pick, in my opinion, is Windfall. Uh, Windfall, honestly, I think is legacy power level at this point it's probably about the same power level as echo of aeons and that card's really only seen play in the epic storm and the like mono blue uh i don't even know what to call that deck anymore like urza stompy deck i guess the, uh, the urza echo but deck. with windfall yeah with windfall like with all the, there's six force effects in the format now on top of that if your opponent knows that you're playing a windfall deck they can just mulligan into a better hand and the windfall's all of a sudden worse. There's effects like Surgical, Fairy Macabre. Like, there's a ton of stuff, Ley Lines. Like, back in the day, I could get why windfall was banned. I think we're kind of past that point now. But I do get that I look by saying that. Bob Huang tweeted out earlier this week. And I don't think windfall is secretly that good. Like, it would be fine. Like, I would play it. But Bob thinks that in a year, he thinks that Storm decks wouldn't play it. I don't know if I agree with that. I still think it's like a fine brainwash target. I'm not going to lie, before we were uh, talking about like our show notes and what we were going to talk about in this section, I didn't know that Windfall was banned in Legacy. <laughs> like, I, I was surprised to learn that. So, yeah. 
So that's how I feel about that. I don't know. There's just like a bunch of stuff that could come off. I did have someone tweet at me today that, oh, I already said it already, about the Hermit Druid thing. Please do not unban. Like, if you're ever listening to us, Wizards, please do not unban Hermit Druid. I have faced it in like Legacy Unchained sort of situations. And like the deck that gets to play Pact of Negation, Force of Well, Cabal Therapy, Thoughtseize, Force of Well, like it's a one card combo that just kills your opponent. And the cost is playing non-basic lands. Please don't do it. I don't think they will. I think yeah, we're safe. I, I think that one's okay. Phew. I don't know. Do you guys think that anything else uh, should possibly be unbanned? I've seen some crazy people asking for mana drain. God, no. I think both no, financially no. and format-wise. like the, We do not want blue decks draining in a Karn. Like, the, the last thing I ever want is to be playing a deck with fun cards that cost three or four mana, and for my opponent to go, mana drain it. And I go, damn. And then I get to play my next fun card, and my opponent goes, Snapcaster, Mana Drain. And I just, like, flip the table and leave. Phil, let me sell you on this. Dino Stompy could be really good since everything's uncounterable. Well, all right. It, could, it won't be so bad. Yeah. Yeah, I don't see Mana Drain coming off the list anytime soon. I think I'm ready to talk about the meta moving forward if yeah, you guys Yeah, sounds are. great. So I think we all can agree here that Yorion Control is probably going to be the biggest deck coming out of this. And from my perspective, I'd much rather face Snow decks than Delver decks. From the combo player's perspective, it's a lot easier to beat Snow. That said, the gameplay is not terribly fun, at least playing TES. And I'm pretty sure most people would agree that like the Snow decks are like, pretty miserable to face just because like it's not a deck that has synergies or anything fluid about it it's just a pile of haymakers and haymaker magic at least from my eyes is not super fun magic it's why i didn't like playing the bonfire decks in standard or the thrag test piles like those just like they're not skill intensive decks in my eyes which i'm not trying to badmouth people that play those style of decks but these like big haymaker decks over and over it just comes down to who drew better in the end or like oh man i can't believe you drew your third uro or your fourth oko or whatever and it's just, like, kind of boring. I'd much rather play the smaller style of magic that Lurus represented with, like, Nemomagu, Snapcaster, Spellsnare, like, where there's lots of micro decisions. Those are the, that's the sort of magic I love. So, for starters, I'd like to say that uh, I played against Bryant Cook in the top four of a modern classic once where he was on burn, and here he is talking about not wanting, he, he wants to, complain about decks that are not skill testing but anyway how, how was the uh, the top four money with your your non-skill testing burn deck you just threw lightning bolts at people's face and won your matches like it doesn't do you remember what happened yeah i crushed uh, so, you so, i crushed you with a better deck do you remember no i'm being serious here do you remember what happened right shortly after that no brawl was printed oh brawl yeah okay so my ball busting aside, my point is that like skill testing is a kind of a subjective concept. Like obviously, like the the storm player's idea of a skill tester is going to be different than the Oko player's idea of a skill tester, which will be different than the Chalice player's idea of a skill tester. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Like. If I believed Burn to be the best deck in Legacy, I would show up with Burn, and I wouldn't have any fun, but if I was winning, you know, 60-70% of my matches, whatever a good win rate is, like, 
I would continue to do that. Like it on the if it comes to competitive magic, like that's just how it is. Uh, we we were talking uh, right before we started recording about how rampaging Ferocidon was banned in standard for a while, and it's like that's because red mono red burn was just the best deck. Like if the best deck is not spell testing, or if you're winning with something that requires a less a lower subjective amount of skill then you're still winning like uh the the flavor text of uh is it stranglehold is that the the magic card where it's like uh yes yeah uh i'm gonna I'm, it's three in a red for an enchantment where players cannot search their libraries and cannot take extra turns right so and the flavor text on that card pulling it up real quick is the correct answer to a barbarian's riddle is to choke on your cleverness and die <laughs> so like the the this i i'm not gonna lie i have been on the side of the uh the blue player who just gets burned out and just like oh yeah, yeah you signed up with that lots of decisions to make you big man over there and i'm sure like <laughs> i'm sure as a storm player you have felt that some amount when you just like get run over if you if your opponent just goes like chalice rabble master and you just die any deck filled that, that is play. right right i'm sure every opponent phil's ever had has had that thought at the end of the match but like it doesn't matter if the w is on the board and so that was my first rebuttal my second rebuttal is that an uncontested oko is not interesting i certainly agree with that but an oko on a cluttered board like if you stick Oko and you're facing down, like your opponent has like Chalice and Trinisphere and Rabble Master, and you just stuck your Oko, and you get to remove one of these threats before your Oko dies, like that's that's interesting. Uh, e- even like if you're facing against like a Tarmogoyf and a Dreadhorde Arcanist, and you stuck your Oko, like which of these things is scarier? So. I, I don't think Oko is not skill testing. Oh, I, I will agree with that part. I, I think Oko can be an incredibly skill testing card. And I've had plenty of matches where I'm like, oh my god, I am 100% dead on board to what they can do. And they don't realize that they can swap two of the permanents to just kill me on the spot. Like, there's there's plenty of things that you can miss with Oko. There's plenty of interesting decisions to be had with it. Um, right, I- I know Joe Brennan, when he won Vintage Champs this year uh, in Pittsburgh, he never switched control of anything with Oko because he just like, it was not on his conscious radar that the card could do that. And then when we were in Paris two months later for the Eternal, uh, the European Eternal Weekend, I saw him try to trade a food for a Thought Not Seer, which is not a thing you can do because it has four power. And like... He only even thought of that play because he was specifically trying to remember all the things Oko does and all the options he had, which, you know, his bad for not reading it all the way. But you can win a whole tournament not even using one of the whole abilities on Oko. So there's there's a lot going on there. And I know that, uh, like, I follow a lot of the the standard grinders, like the, the Star City and Pro Tour people on Twitter. And a general consensus I see is that 
even if the games are not particularly fun, they are extremely skill testing when both players have Oko. Like navigating, is it more important to turn off that permanent or to add another elk to my board? And then navigating combat where it's just like X33s versus Y33s. Like you end up in like a corset limited sort of situation, which is not where a lot of legacy players shine like doing combat math. So there's a lot of interesting situations that Oko generates. And I, I think it is unfun but I, I don't think it's unskillful. So I think that my comment got blown a little bit out of proportion. I'm talking about Haymaker magic and not Oko in particular. I just think that like throwing Haymakers back and forth isn't super interesting. I mean, you guys don't have to agree with me, but just like throwing the largest or newest, hottest thing out over and over, just like, I don't know. It's not my style of magic. Isn't Tendrils of Agony the Haymaker? I don't even like winning with tendrils. I like winning with grape shop, right? I mean, come on, irrelevant. Like, it, <laughs> like as far as like doing something big in the game ends, like that's storm. You are the haymaker player in this conversation here. Mm, I, I don't know. know if it I might be that. me. I've been casting Chandra Awaken Inferno on stream a lot, so guilty. That makes a lot of hay. Yeah. Okay, so we've talked about the Yorion deck being enemy number one. What do we see as the, uh, let's say if Yorion control is tier one or tier zero, what do we see as the decks underneath that? Combo. Storm or uh, or show and tell. The, the blue-green Omnitel deck could come right back. Uh, that That's basically unbeatable for a fair blue deck. I'm interested to see how Delver does. Because it just... One of the things about the control decks in the previous companion metagame were that the Delver decks actually were really good at outgrinding them due to Lurus and Dreadhorde, but now they just lost Lurus, so they just lost this beautiful grind engine. And now I don't think they're going to be able to outgrind the control decks with Oko and Euro and all those other beautiful, lovely skill-testing cards. So now, how does Delver react to that? Do they go back to playing cards like uh, Painful Truths or the Bedlam Reveler? Or anything along those lines like will delver find a way to come back and outgrind these cards or will it go back to being like low two oh, i think one? it's already found the way i think it's clothus the red green enchantment god um that is basic, basically a death rate shaman impression that's very hard to remove yeah that's a powerful card i think the delver decks are going to start playing oko in the main deck alongside arcanist and then probably clothus sideboard as like a two of just as something else that gives you additional tick downs to help offset the life game that your opponents are doing i've read a little bit about this and it's interesting because rug delver players tend to be in two camps you have the rug delver players or the delver players in general who don't mind playing a bigger game and then you have delver players that really like playing smaller magic with like stifle nibble mongoose hex drinker spell snare like that sort of thing and Clothus just like doesn't pair well with the aggressive style of Rug Delver, in my opinion. But if you're willing to play Oko and play a larger game, that seems perfectly fine. Uh, I, I remember when uh, Ren and Six was new, uh, people were like, like one would go into Rug Delver, then it was two, and then then it was three, and EW Landon to like trump the rug delver meta he went like one tick bigger and played a 
just rug mid-range control deck with four Ren and Six and no Delvers. And like that could be a place where the the bigger style, the people willing to play a bigger style quote-unquote Delver game might want to go. Like uh, they might lose Delver itself or they might board it out in some situations and just go a little taller. But th- that's definitely a build space that has had success in the past. Speaking of Delver, I had a tweet earlier this week that blew up into Legacy's hottest meme. Yeah, yeah. you did. I think, like, and I still believe this, that Delver just, like, should not exist. But I think a lot of people took that as, I think Delver should be banned. I am fairly anti-ban in general, if you haven't picked up on this podcast yet. That doesn't mean that I think Delver should be banned. I just think that it never should have been printed. And Blue having the most aggressive creature of all time is fucking ridiculous. Well, that this goes right back to where we started this podcast, where they don't test for legacy, and they can't. Delver did not. Delver was unplayable and limited. Un, it was pretty good in standard, uh, like in appropriate power level, and it is unplayable in modern. And it's just right in legacy, and it's not good enough for vintage. Like it, we're just in the sweet spot, given the card pool that it we can support it like most formats don't have enough spells to make it happen and i think it could be playable in modern if preordain and ponder weren't banned personally well so i know this isn't a modern podcast but the problem is that there's there's no force of will or days in modern so like getting ahead like starting with a threat and then backing it up with counter magic is not a good plan you have to pick apart their hand, and then stick a threat in modern, which is why the black base decks with like Death Shadow or like just classic Jund, that's why they're competitive and Delver's not. It's your your disruption is discard instead of counter spells, just based on what's available in the card pool. So I traditionally I do agree with you. Uh, I have a friend that does very, very well with Blue or Delver due to force negation. I understand it's not as versatile, but it's still like a thing. I don't know. Yeah, I have not tried Delver in Modern since Modern Horizons was printed because Urza was also in that set, and I'm never going to do anything else in that format. <laughs> I don't blame you. It's funny, Brian. When you said we were going back to earlier on in the podcast, I thought you were going to talk about breaking the color pie again. Because <laughs> like, that's kind of a problem with Astrolabe, and like Delver being blue and being hyper-aggressive is super weird. But, you know, it is what it is. Well... It's a creature that rewards you for having tons of spells, which is super blue. It's right where it belongs. Okay. It's hard to argue with facts. Yep. Uh, I, I like Delver. I think it's an appropriate power level. I, I like that it exists. It's also, like, su- maybe not surprisingly easy, but it's also easy enough to try and bully Delver if you really want to. It's often going to be one of the best decks, if not always going to be one of the best decks. But you can always do things. I don't know if I agree with that. Like, name a strategy that beats Grixis Lurus Delver. Like, the part of the oh, problem with Delver is we're talking about a card that just got banned. The One, one of the fastest bans in Legacy history. You want to use that as our baseline? If you look at the last 10 years... Well, okay, Delver was printed in 2011. But... When you look at the last 10 years, ever since it's printing, Delver has been tier one. It is not an easy card to hate out. 
like, there's been multiple times in the history of Delver decks in Legacy where they had to ban a card out of it to weaken the deck because Delver is a part of this, like, it's a pillar of Legacy! And, like, Renin Six, Probe, uh, Deathrite Shaman, uh, like, there's Luris now, like, there's a ton of Treasure Crews. Like, Delver is the shell that just, like, keeps on getting cards banned because it's so efficient. Like, I don't think it's easy to hate out by any means. I'm pretty sure all of those cards would have been banned without Delver, too. Everything you just mentioned would have found a, a broken home. Because those cards are all not okay, but Delver is. Uh, like, the again, like, drawing a, a comparison to Death Shadow and Modern. When Death Shadow broke in Modern, like, when Sam Black figured out the, the formula and it, it just crushed a bunch of tournaments in a row, people were like, ban Death Shadow! And the community consensus ended up being, like, if our tier one best deck in the format is based around just, like, casting a big creature at some point, that's a good place to be. Like, that's healthy. Like, if our if one of the tier one, like, rock part of the rock, paper, scissors at the top is just, like, they get ahead and they're disruptive, like, I think that's totally fine. Like, that's not unhealthy. That's just... Like, what kind of format should exist without an aggro deck in it? Like, that's just part of the part of a healthy metagame. So, I think like how you said aggro deck there, because Legacy lacks real aggro decks because of nothing is better than Dollar of Secrets. Like, why would you play Hex Drinker or Wild Nakadle or Step Links? And I understand some of these are a little dated now, but the aggressive creatures that are playable are so far worse than Delver where you're, you're just like, why wouldn't I just play a Delver deck with Days Wasteland too? If the, like it already has the best creature. I was there. so happy when we saw like actual factual white weenie seeing play in Legacy for that very reason. Like, that was so cool. There is an aggro deck that is a, a pillar of Legacy for the last few years, and it's Eldrazi. Like, that is a true actual factual aggro deck. And it does not play Delver. I could see that argument. I personally, when I think of Eldrazi, I think of it as a prison deck. It plays Chalice, Chernosphere, but I understand where you're coming from. But regardless, like it, these aren't classic aggro decks. Maybe Legacy is a place where classic aggro decks don't exist. I mean, that just might be it. But when you look at like 2009, uh, 2010, before Delvis printing, like Zoo was a tier one deck that evaporated. Yeah. That's actually like a really interesting point, just more generally. Like, Legacy is a place for X. And I think for a long time, Legacy was this place where you could play whatever you want as long as it was powerful. Like, you can pick your, your favorite archetype and, you know, for the past 8-10 years, you could play some variant of that. And it would at least be okay in a tournament. But I'm starting to feel like that is less the case in the past year or so with the 2019 and 2020 printings. Really just ramping up the power level of the format. Yeah, that's a reasonable position to take. Uh, I, I do agree that for a long time you could just do whatever you wanted and it was fine. Like you're still playing Legacy even if it's not a, a tier, a, a tiered deck. But but yeah, like if you show up with your Zoo deck and you've never seen Uro, you're gonna have a bad time. Just imagine turn one fetch Tiger Curd Ape. Your opponent casts Uro on turn three. It's not gonna be a good game. BGs indeed. Though, uh, in the same set as Delver of Secrets was an even bigger problem 
to Zoo's existence, and that's Snapcaster Mage. Like, Plow Snap Plow against the aggro decks. Like, Plow Snap Plow killed Merfolk, killed Zoo. Like, I, I don't know if we can blame Delver for the demise of those decks when Snapcaster Mage was in the same set. Though, it's probably a two-pronged attack. Like, there's a better way to attack to be an aggro deck now, and the control decks and the mid-range decks have this insane tool against the attacking decks. But uh, I don't think we can blame Delver for the complete disappearance of those style of attacking decks. Oh, I think life has gotten hard for creature decks in the time since that. Like, Snapcaster, um, Abrupt Decay, Assassin's Trophy, Plague Engineer, Arcanus to help flash things back. Um, removal's gotten really good. Really, really yeah. good. Um, as have the threats, to be fair. Um, but Legacy has such a flexible set of strong answers to cards between like the free counter magic, the uncounterable removal spells, the mo modal removal spells. You got all sorts of stuff. Yeah, I remember. I think the only way. Sorry, go ahead. I remember like 2009, 2010 Legacy trying to play Fair Blue. Like, if your opponent went Island Aether Bile, you were dead. Like, there, there was no recourse for a Fair Blue deck to beat Merfolk. And Plow Snap Plow completely flipped that script. Anyway, continue. That's just all I wanted to say <laughs> about that. I was going to say the only way that removal could get any better is if they finally started making decent modular removal spells that could kill planeswalkers. And like technically there's like abrupt decay and assassin's trophy and maybe magmatic sinkhole, which I used to love, but now I think is probably just not good enough with how big these planeswalkers are coming out being. But I think if we saw more modular removal, um and like people have brainstormed stuff on the internet, but like maybe I don't know. Like, an Azorius Charm that maybe could put a Planeswalker on top, or I don't know. But, like, it's just an idea. I think, like, those sort of things would see play. Yeah, in the, the in Ikoria, there's the the Black Mythos is a, a black and two colorless destroy target, non-land permanent, if it's a creature, or if you also paid green-white. So, if you pay Abzan, you can kill anything, but... Any non-land, but uh, you can also just kill a creature for black. I, I For what it's worth, I really like that cycle of cards. Like, I think they that's good set design. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, A lot of times when I'm complaining about, like, Oko on stream because it's eating me alive, someone's just like, yeah, play Pyroblast, idiot. Um, but outside of Pyroblast, it's really hard to efficiently answer Oko in playing a card that you otherwise would want to be playing. So, like, there are cards that you can play to answer Oko that will just get eaten alive by the other cards in the shell. So you you Pithing Needle the Oko, you Sorcerer Spyglass the Oko, they decay it, and they still have the Oko. It's really hard to cleanly answer Planeswalkers, especially when they're not blue. Yeah, but I do think that Legacy is a place where people are allowed to play a variety of different decks and a lot of the times you're not going to like those decks because they're Brian's aggro Eldrazi deck that happens to ruin my life. Or, you know, like there's plenty of unfun things. Like your opponents in Legacy are allowed to do unfun. Like I don't think 
anyone's ever sat down for a game of Magic, their opponent gone, Dark Ritual and Tomb, Exhume, Gristlebrand, draw 14, put 20 power in a play, go, and you, the person's like, wow, that was so much fun, can we do it again next game? Like, I just don't think that's, like, what, like, like, like that's legacy right there, and no one, like, likes that, but, like, that's just what it is. So, I, I have to interject, because I have an anecdote. I, I was playing Legacy at Clubhouse Cards when Ren and Six was still legal. It, it was right before Eternal Weekend last year. And I was test really getting my reps in with uh, Ren and Six Rug Delver. And I played against this guy. He's probably in his late 40s. He has like a big like disturbed beard and like a shaved head and wore a bunch of like spiked jewelry and stuff. And like clearly just like old school, like alt goth kind of guy. And I had never seen him before. And he was like, yeah, I just moved here from Seattle. Like I opened packs of alpha off the shelf like i've been around i was like oh that's awesome welcome to pittsburgh but we we played our match and he had learned about the merit lage thespian stage combo and just put together sort of a like mid-range deck it, it was like slower than uh turbo depths but not quite lands it, it was his own device but the point was to make merit lage and I just locked him the fuck out with a turn two, Ren and six, both games. And after the second game, like he played out both of them too. He was a trooper. Like I was just like, waste your last land again. He'd, he'd just be like, okay, land go. And I'd be like, waste your last land again. And I did that twice. And uh, he was just like into it the whole time. And like after the match, he picked up my Ren and six and he's like, this seems like a useful card. <laughs> He's like, and he was like, I should pick up a few of these. And I was like, you probably shouldn't. They're going to ban it soon. <laughs> but he was totally into just getting like strip locked out of the game. <laughs> but I understand that he is a, a rare creature. I played against the guy to in Charlotte who did something similar. Like he showed up with just like an unsleeved mono red legacy deck. And I'm playing like Bomberman. And game one, I make like eight monks on turn two and he's like oh but that was really good and then the next game i played like a karn and started doing degenerate things and he's like oh man this deck's super cool it does all the things oh i i have another another one while we're here i was playing a counterbalance miracles once against a guy who showed up at the local store with burn uh, he just put together a, a legacy legal deck and i had counterbalance in play and he suspended two rift bolts and I just brainstormed a three drop on top of my deck and passed the turn. And like, he unsuspended the first Rift Bolt. I revealed the three drop. And then he went to unsuspend the second one. And he's like, wait, this is going to get countered too? And I was like, yep. And he's like, damn, that's gangster. And he had this like big smile on his face and just like put his cards in the graveyard. And like, uh, there, there is some joy of discovery if you haven't seen it a hundred times. Like the thing that got me back into magic after I took a bit of a break was affinity in when mirrodin came out like when i saw the skull clamp affinity deck just in action i was like oh my god i gotta get in on this which is when a lot of people were quitting magic so historically low tournament rates and brian koval's like yes yeah, sign me up yeah i gotta get a taste of this all right so we've we've talked about like yorian snoko sorts of decks being the low-hanging fruit and that we expect combo to rise. Um, something we didn't explicitly say is that since these Yorian decks are 80 cards, 
there's a lower chance of them having any one specific thing in their opening hand. And part of the reason the combo decks are good against them is there's this opening while they're kind of setting up and they haven't had a chance to sculpt their hand yet, where they are a little bit more vulnerable than the average 60-card control deck. Um, and I think that's something that's really important to know, regardless of what deck you're playing. So, for example, if you're a Chalice deck and you can jam the Chalice on one against them, like, by all means, go for that as quickly as possible before they have a chance to sculpt because they have a lower chance of having Force of Will in their opener. Yeah, so I, I recorded a league with a, a Yori on control deck where I talked about that a little bit. And I had two Force of Negations on top of the four Force of Will, which I think is pretty standard. And if you, your deck size increased by 33%, but your Force count increased by 50%, so you're like more likely to have a Force like one of six forces in your opening hand than one of four forces in a 60 card deck, but only slightly. So like the math to have one force is pretty similar, but like you said, with the sculpting, like that first brainstorm is less likely to find the second force or whatever. And the, the fact that you can't just overload on soft permission and sculpt to have it at the right time, like the Yorion decks aren't decks that get to play like spell pierce and spell snare and like fluster storm probably like maybe out of the board you get some fluster storms depending on the meta but like a, a delver deck that like they keep a hand with force will against the combo deck they brainstorm into like a spell pierce and a threat and now they they have like two layers of protection and they're beating down the yorian deck will never be able to do that so, at least in my experience, a lot of these uh, four-color snow decks that became Yorion decks were already playing six forces, and I've seen a lot of these Yorion control decks playing seven. Like, they added in the one extra force for the 33 cards, and I haven't... So, on the epicstorm.com, under the data uh, page, there's a chart breaking down all the mathematical percentages for forces. I haven't gotten around to doing the Yorion ones yet, because I just haven't. But, like, I'd like to actually see the math breakdown because I think with 7, it's pretty similar. Like, it might be, like, a percentage or two lower, but it's going to be really damn close. So, what what else do we expect to see moving forward? I think we kind of have, like, the, the level 1. It's, it's Yorian and combo decks that are becoming more popular. But do you have thoughts on the positioning of other decks? So, at... With Luris being banned, that unlocks Stoneforge Mystic from the Shadow Realm. Eh. Though, 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 I don't the think Stoneforge... never playable to begin with? Right, right. So that that was the, the gigantic caveat, was I don't think Stoneforge Mystic is going to be good in the combo versus control. Like, if, if like, level one here is combo versus Yorion or Snowco... Stoneforge Mystic does a bad job splitting that difference. It, it is bad against both of those ends of the spectrum. So uh, I still don't expect to see Stoneforge Mystic, even though it is technically back on the menu. I would expect a lot of creature decks to go down in playability. And we covered that a little bit with Plague Engineer coming back. And we're going to see more Dead of Winter. But if the aggro decks are all leaving the format, that's going to leave a lot of blue on blue mirrors and combo versus blue. And I think it's going to get a little bit inbred. I think it's going to get a lot inbred. And I actually think that we might get inbred enough that like some of the blue hunters come out 
and we end up seeing main deck Pyroblast decks like Painter or something of that ilk being totally reasonable choices. I played main deck Pyroblast last week. Oh yeah. You're a madman in Legacy? Yeah. Wow. Well, uh, it kills Meddling Mage that's stopping your Burning Wish from getting Tendrils of Agony. It does do and, that. Uh, what, the crazier part is I am now leaving it in against non-blue decks because everybody and their mothers are all playing Mindbreak Trap, and it's a card that you can get that counters Mindbreak Trap with your Wishclaw Talisman. Oh, that's actually pretty neat. Yeah. Fuck Mindbreak Trap. I mean, I, and <laughs> I was going to say, which one's worse? I feel like it's Null Rod. And Counterbalance. <laughs> Alright, I'm done. For now. You'll come back to it. I'm here. Okay. So, Phil, what do you think about Stompy decks in this new meta? Like, uh, any of you know, Dinosaurs, uh, Red Stompy, uh, Arosa? Is it back? So, essentially, the problem with a deck like most of the Stompy decks is that Oko invalidates almost any card that you can play. So in Red Prison, it shuts off your lock pieces, it shuts off your bridges that are keeping the Elks from attacking, and the life gain portion of it even makes it so that huge haymakers like Chandra Awaken Inferno can't necessarily outpace it, especially when coupled with Uro. Um, so if I was going to play Red Prison, I'd have to play a version with at least four blasts in it. And honestly, I might go full Madman and try cutting Chalice from the main deck of Red Prison and play Blasts in the main deck or something like that. Well, if you're going to play a Red Prison deck with main deck Blasts, have you heard of Imperial Yeah, that's Paint? that's the problem, is that I think we end up going like full circle to that. I considered like trying a Red Prison deck that has a Painter Servant in the sideboard to turn on the Blasts afterwards. Like, I'm, I'm thinking about some weird things, but with all the, like, random plague engineers running around to put on goblins. I don't think it's an okay place to like be on a red prison deck. I think the Snowco decks are going to have four to eight stricks, so it doesn't seem like the greatest time to be playing Eldrazi either. Um I have seen some resin prison decks that aren't running the goblins, but instead they run like four of the giant and then additional planeswalkers, like they run all eight Karns. And this way they like the 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 smaller removal matters less. So like plague engineer on construct doesn't matter when they're all twelve twelves or whatever. Yeah. Um. Honestly, I think the best sort of shell like that will actually be basically the Zerda deck minus the bad monoliths plus Chalice. Like I. Re so bomberman. No, I think you leave the bomberman portion out. I I I think you just play like an artifact. Turbo, Planeswalker, Mystic Forge, Chalice deck. And, like, you just try to eliminate the Bomberman package because, like, that part of it was always relatively awkward on its own. And you just see if you can play more colorless good stuff. So this conversation did get my juices flowing about Arosa. I, I had... <laughs> The companions had so furiously punched that deck out of my brain that I, I think it's back. Like, it's an Oko deck that gets to play Abrupt Decay for other Okos, and 
if you haven't been following the modern metagame at all, Yorion Arosa is, in fact, a big part of the modern metagame. So I think that I can get to be an Urza deck and a Yorion deck and a Chalice deck all at the same time. So I that's I know where I'm going in this new metagame. That actually does sound relatively exciting. I'm super stoked about it. Though, I guess Yorion gets a lot worse when you're a Chalice deck also. I would like to blink my Chalice comes back countering zeros. That would wreck your deck, fella. What if I play... Well, I mean, if I play one on one on turn, like turn one chalice on one to make sure you don't ritual me out, and then like on turn five I just blink it down to zero and then play another one on one. Or I was probably losing the game already. Absolutely. Yeah, because I play chalice on one. The game's over. <laughs> but I like how <laughs> nice like I need to spend five mana to play this chalice on zero. Yep. Instead of playing a chalice on two with my five mana. <laughs> Another subtle thing about the metagame is that if everyone is going to rely on Astrolabe as one of their mana fixers, and you can turbo out a Karn, that, that gets to shut those off and turn those into not fixing anymore, and that's definitely worth something. Yeah, Karn is a seriously good card. Well, that's the thing about the uh, the Yorion decks, is they're also playing for, I'm going to bling on the name now, the Green Enchantment. Abundant Growth. Abundant Growth. And I think the mana in that deck is actually super good. Like, it's going to be really hard to Blood Moon them out, because they play, like, 10 basics, too. So it's just interesting, because I think even if you get rid of Astrolabe, that deck's mana still is very good. It's just, now you don't have Yorion to blink to draw four cards. Yeah, the, my experience with the Astrolabe decks is that you don't collapse if you don't have an Astrolabe. It's just that things get weird. It's like... You can play Oko, but you can't protect it with Veil of Summer because you don't have double green if you don't have Astrolabe. Like, that that's the sort of weirdness you run into. Or, like, you have your basic swamp, so now you can't Uro. Uh, so, yeah. like, like that that's the where the bottleneck happens. It's not like a true blood mooning of, of your where they're just dead. Yeah, it's more of a, oh, you can't cast that Council's Judgment now because you don't have Yeah, you can't light. double spell. Yeah. I like how you think Council's Judgment's playable, Phil. That's that's a fair point. I remember when that card was good. Me too. Remember Un Unexpectedly Absent? Nope. That, that card, card was never good. That's false. Back in the day when Top Miracles was the best deck, it was the job of a Miracles player to figure out how to remove the opponent's counterbalance. And things like Unexpectedly Absent and Set Adrift with crazy mana costs was the way to do it i do remember yeah i'm glad we don't live in that world anymore but i do miss unexpectedly absent i won a legacy classic with unexpectedly absent in my deck that occurred my my condolences to all my opponents who died when their card went into their deck we've we've all done done things and gotten deck lists attached to our name that have shameful cards in them. It's alright. I've top aided a Grand Prix with Eye of Nowhere in it. Yeah, It's bad. Alright, so why don't we wrap this one up? We are going a little bit long. Alright, let's wrap it. I don't have any wrapping paper. Phil, any final thoughts? Um, no, I'm... I don't know that I'm excited moving forward. Like, I, I don't know that I can go that far because I'm 
really worried that a lot of the matches that I'm going to play are going to be less interesting than the matches that I played in the last few weeks, at least to me personally. But I don't know. Like I'm, I'm ready to not play against Luris every round. I can promise you'll play against Luris never again. None of your opponents will have Luris. Yeah, just don't play modern or pioneer. Well, or luckily, I don't do any of those things. Well, I will mimic what you said, Phil. I'm content enough with the change. I prefer snow matchups rather than Delver matchups, but I'm not super excited about this new format. Like, obviously, I will like it more than the companion meta, I think. But because towards the end, I did get a little sick of facing Luris every round. But I do think that at least in two months, we'll have to look forward to a new set completely smashing Legacy to a smothering halt. And we'll have to complain about a new card. So I have that to look forward to on the horizon. Well, as, as the, the fair blue mage in the, on the cast, I am pretty excited for the return to fair blue magic in Legacy. Uh, I, I'm still begrudgingly, guiltily enjoying Arkham's Astrolabe. And I will do so as long as I'm allowed to. I like how you're like, as the fair blue mage that plays Chalice of the Void... <laughs> whatever dude fair is a, a is relative a, term really is is there a fairer card than chalice of the void it's symmetrical right it's not even like yeah, fairy. it's like it's like all right nobody's casting one drops i just wish that you could chalice check people online that's all i want that's all i want <laughs> how would that work it, there's just like a random number generator attached to their ego <laughs> that's just like <laughs> I don't know. But, it, like, in paper, people miss their chalices all the time. You're like, ends up brainstorming. They're like, yeah, dude. Yep. So, I don't know. It'd just be nice if, like, online, if they at least had to remember their stupid fucking card in play. Uh, I, I know we're signing off. I'll close. I'll shut up after my anecdote since we're on this. I once watched Richard Shea cast an Entomb into a Chalice on one. The Entomb resolved. Richard chose to get Raven's Crime out of his deck. And then retraced it three times to shred his opponent's hand to nothing, and then passed the turn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, was he also playing Worms Harvest? Uh, he might have. It, it was the the Jun Depths deck back when that was a thing. But but yes, that that was the most savage chalice checking I've ever seen. So there's a joke that uh, my crew of friends from New York have whenever we would go to Star Cities is whenever you got paired against like a chalice player. You'd like be like brainstorm. Oh, where are you from? And your your opponent would be like, yeah, dude, like resolve your brainstorm or whatever. And you just like ask them personal questions about themselves, and they would just completely forget about their chalice because that's who chalice players are. Sorry, Phil. Cedric Phillips wrote a in a tournament report once. It was like a PTQ or something during uh, Zendikar Limited, where his opponent had uh, there there was like a reverse soul warden that's like whenever a creature comes into play that its controller loses a life and cedric like was like at one or something and just needed to make sure his opponent missed the trigger so like everyone he made up a story about every creature he put into play he's like this bayloth conquered so much territory for like territorial bayloth and he just did that for every creature he put into play and his opponent was just having such a good time that he never triggered the the guy. So <laughs> I, I'm glad to hear that 
that that that was everywhere in the mid 2000s by the way that was just how you played tournament magic so i'm I'm glad there's someone still out there joking about it quote unquote but totally doing it in reality i love playing on magic online where i don't have to worry about my opponents cheating just throwing that out there Er did you guys know that i was a uh subject of a genius or grifter conversation on limited resources do either of you listen to limited resources i do not i do not all right so they have a segment that they call genius or grifter where they propose a situation or relay a situation they heard and then marshall and luis decide if the person involved is a genius or a grifter and uh one of my plays that i made in a, a tournament match was a genius or grifter and what it, what happened was I had uh, thought seized my opponent, and they had two Okos in their hand and like some other card, and I was like, oh, I guess I'll or and like remand. It was a modern tournament. I was like, I guess I'll take the remand since I have your Okos covered, and I put Pything Needle on the stack, and they were like, oh yeah, that's pretty good, and I was like, I'll name your Scalding Tarn, and then they just didn't cast a spell for the rest of the game. And completely fine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Luis, Luis said I was a genius, and Marshall said I was a grifter. So, for what it's worth, Phil, you use the word cheater there. Uh, I don't agree with that because oh. remembering your own triggers is no, not cheating. I, I was. Uh, you I don't was have to challenge check people totally you want. Situation when I said that. Okay, like challenge checking is completely within the books. I know, like more casual people and like the leaving a legacy group and the subreddit. I've seen threads where they're like, "No, challenge checking should get you banned." That's not how tournament magic goes. Like, if you want to ban your friend from your kitchen table, have at it. But if you're going to go sign up for a PTQ or a Star City or whatever, be prepared. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm I'm all about chalice checking. I'm all about making sure your opponent is paying attention to the game. Like, I'm, I'm all about that sort of stuff. Um, but it's just really nice to not have to sweat all, all sorts of angle shooting and all sorts of things like that when playing on Magic Online. I like it when you sweat, Phil. <laughs> and we've come full circle to Phil sprinting through his neighborhood, glistening wet, wearing just boxer briefs. That's probably the a pretty place good place to, to end. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we peaked. <laughs> Thank you for listening, everyone. Uh, it's been the Eternal Glory Podcast.